you're listening to Stark Contrast, the Game of Thrones podcast and movie fail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and this week we're discussing the fourth episode of Season 5, uh, Sons of the Harpy. So, I would say this week, the title <laughs> definitely gelled with the uh, content of the episode um, in a way that we sort of expected earlier and <laughs> didn't see. Um, it, you know, it, it fit the climax of the episode, it's... it's I don't know if it's thematic, but you know, there's a. Yeah, well, it's it's weird. In because... fact, it's very specific and doesn't apply to a lot of storylines, but it certainly applies to the big, you know, the big bang of this episode. Well, yeah, certainly the cli- the most, you know, the pivotal moment. But mm-hmm. it's also hard to say like that this episode is about the sons of the harpy because it's not. Right. Like that doesn't that doesn't even show up until the final scene. Mm-hmm. You know, no, there's nothing in Marine until that scene happens. So it, it's again, it's again, it, it's more. It's better than something like High Sparrow or House of Black and White, where it's you know, those were just th- things that kind of happened in the episode, but it was like a minor part. This at least was a very the most important part of the episode. But it's it's weird. It really it feels like another one of like we didn't know what to call this, so we just did <laughs> the thing. Well, I mean, but at least there's a it's it's a step up from say the House of Black and White, which wasn't really relevant to really anything, whereas. This one at least is relevant to the climax, but yes, there are better episode titles that certainly are cheekier or more. Like next week is called "Kill the Boy," right? So that I assume, at the very least, maybe once we see the episode, we won't. You know, it'll be different. Uh, but you know, you can imagine it applying to a bunch of different storylines and different ways. You know, you might be able to. That's a direct quote from the book, actually. It's very oh, is it? specific. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm sure so it'll have multiple know. meanings, but that's actually the most specific title so far. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I wouldn't have any idea. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, before we get into this episode, do you want to just address last week's uh, House of Black and White, uh, the seven thing, the comment we got? Oh, yeah, I, just to clarify. Um, so <laughs> these are really, really long books. <laughs> really? Really, Josh? And look, no, it's like, I've, <laughs> okay, I've read the books. I Sometimes you you read something that long and it's like, you think you understand something, and you don't. And you miss the detail. So I was under the impression that the way that the House of Black and White worked is that it's, you know, an offshoot of the Seven, and they all, the idea is that the Seven are all actually one god, that's the god of death, but actually, someone in our comment on our last episode said, actually, the way it works is it's every god from every religion, and they all represent death, and it's not specific to the Seven. I think even though I think what they was, were saying was that there was somebody who represented death in in, in each religion, so like the stranger in the um, that was it. When they were showing the fate, all the different statues, I thought that that was supposed to be the seven, but it was actually apparently just different. You know, they weren't labeled. They weren't labeled. They were. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for misleading anybody. Well, I mean, I and I wouldn't have any idea. Everything's very confusing in this show, so <laughs> I'm sure average Joe Schmo viewer uh, has no clue what uh, happened. You well, know, yeah, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't matter. I think anyway, but it's, yeah. it, it's not. The, the, the sentiment is very similar, but you know, it's always worth addressing a comment. So, um, all right. So, uh, so we start off with another small council meeting, which you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, never, I never really like these, and it's even more boring for two reasons. One, I would say that Mace Tyrell, who I don't um, have any opinion on, because. He hasn't really been in the show very much. 
feels like his entire character is his mustache. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, mustache guy. You know, like I don't. But he's like, he, he, at least by name, he's a much more important character. Like I don't know how important he is in the books in other terms, but he, he, by name, he's a Tyrell, and he's, um, you know, he's like this this important figurehead. And I just don't know anything about him, and so he has this sort of like mini showdown with uh, with Cersei. Maybe because maybe it's more about Cersei sort of having her, the ability to exercise her rule over at least someone because most people are just ignoring her. Uh, maybe that's what it's about. But I just like their little showdown is so strange because I just don't know who Mace is. And then the and the crux of, the crux of it is that it's about the Iron Bank, which we keep hearing about is so intimidating or whatever. But we have we've we've been there once. They haven't done anything as far as we know. And so every time they get brought up, I just think of, like, accountants, and I just go, eh, I don't care. <laughs> you know, and they're supposed to be, like, the Iron Bank of Bravos, but, like, all we've seen is them talking about debt every now and again, and it's just not that interesting to me, because yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of power they wield. They don't seem to, they're like, Switzerland, like, Switzerland's not intimidating, they have a lot of money, you know, I don't... Uh, yeah, I laughed out loud at this scene, because I, the way that they... The way that the score happens in this scene is that she says, Mace Tyrell, you're going to speak to the Iron Bank in Bravo City. He's like, oh, 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 oh I guess. Yeah. And then she goes, yes, Sir Marin Trent will be uh, assisting you. And it, you know, rack focus to Marin Trent, and the score is like an inch away from literally going, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's his so face, weird. though. That's what we <laughs> Ian Beatty. His, his face is just a permanent scowl. I've never <laughs> seen someone scowl that much, and I saw all of Dread like two, three times, and it, it's just he's—it's constantly in this like sort of screwed up, like angry face, and um, like I know he's like a bad character, but he's like a cartoon of a bad character, um, evil, not bad, like badly written. Uh, although I don't, we don't really know much about him other than he kind of sucks. Um, but yeah, it's just like <laughs> okay, so you're gonna go negotiate a deal, like. It would be more impactful if they had if Iron Bank had sent a message, you know, some sort of like threatening message. Um, but that just didn't happen. There's no. <laughs> she's like, she's like, well, they really want their. If they sent a really cool box with like a, a yeah, exactly, exactly, mouth. exactly. Um, that would be intimidating. Or if they like, you know, sent a, you know, a, a, they killed someone or something. You know, that seems to be how people communicate in Game of Thrones, and that's <laughs> that's not that we didn't get. We don't get any of that. So. Um, I think the real uh, significance of the scene might be that Marin Trant is going to Bravos and not Mace Tyrell, uh, because of course Marin Trant is one of the names left on Arya's list, and Arya's in Bravos. Ah, oh, I didn't even think about. So that. I think it might be a very like a stealth uh, kind, uh, stealth ominous. Is the, uh, the the ominous moment is actually for for Marin Trant's uh, fate. That is that's very because uh, I I the, that's the other way you know Marin Trant is that she keeps she keeps m- mentioning him. Uh, in her little thing she says to herself. Um, but, you know, a good way to communicate that might be to cut to Arya in the next scene, which doesn't <laughs> happen. Um, editing. Editing, yes. Um, but in any case, so then the other, the, the rest of it is uh, mostly about the sparrows, right, in this, uh, at King's Landing. It's uh, oh, mostly yes. sparrow-related stuff. So <laughs> do, what do you think? Okay, so this is They're scary. Of, this is okay. What Cersei does in this episode is the maybe the stupidest decision ever on Game of Thrones. <laughs> and like we're in season we're we're in season five now, and there have been a lot of stupid decisions. But I think I think arming the faith 
in, in making yeah, bringing back the faith militant takes the cake for a couple <laughs> reasons. One, uh, get, taking a bunch of religious extremists and giving them a bunch of weapons and saying, "Go do your thing." Right, enforce it doesn't seem like a great idea. People. Yeah. Yeah. Second of all. What she says in her conversation with the High Sparrow was like, oh, there's these sinners who are protected by gold and privilege. And then she's like, you could see her smirk to herself. And she's thinking like, ah, oh, that doesn't describe me. <laughs> uh, you know, it just, it's so clear that this is going to come back to bite her, right? <laughs> she describes herself when, of course, she's, she, she has no concept of other people uh, thinking of her as anything other but then this great person because she's she's an egotistical person but so it's on so many levels arming the faith militant is unbelievably stupid mm. on her part no i agree it is it, although it's the kind of thing you might i like i it's stupid but it's not like cat in season 1 you know what i mean or or even season 2 um I think it's pre- those were those were at least those had long term consequences that she wasn't thinking about. Like these consequences seem very short term that she's not thinking. They do, about. but she's also desperate, and I feel like that's something that you might see. Like I, be- I don't know. I, to me, it seemed like I didn't see that. I didn't think that there was a. It, it was really necessary for Cat to accuse Tyrion in the middle of an inn and then have him arrested. You know what I mean? That's that's one thing, which would probably have immediate consequences, like I don't know, starting a war. Um, Whereas arming the faith militant, you know, because she's trying to, you know, build herself a little mini army so that she can, you know, con- continue to maintain control of the capital, which is rapidly eroding from under her. I could see that as a more logical train of thought. I mean, comparing what one character did to another is kind of silly, but the the point being that I, I see why she did it, even though it's probably a terrible idea. No, yeah, they, they make it, they do, they do make it clear why. Uh, she's doing it in this episode with what happens in this episode. It appears that this is, you know, all part of her plan, but it's, it's just so petty. Short-sighted, yeah. It's this amazing, you know, this massive development for the entire city over this petty little thing. Mm. And, you know, with, yeah, with such immense consequences as we see with, I mean, oh man, God, Loris. Yeah, so, um... Well, one thing is that I was kind of hoping Loris, who we've been shown to be, a, you know, he's a great fighter, doesn't actually get to kill or fight anyone before he... I know he's just finished a, finished a fight, but like he doesn't take out any sparrows before he's taken. Um, one, the, the second thing is, you know, they've justified now that... Was it the second episode? That uh, the... It's not really a sex... Is it a sex scene? I think that was the first episode. Oh, it's the first time. Well, they're naked in bed. I don't know if it's yeah. a sex scene, but they're naked in bed. And then it, we were mentioned how it was like, that seems to define him. And it, that hasn't really changed, I guess. His, the fact that he's gay is like the, his whole character, basically. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. We talked about in our first, in our podcast for that episode about how Loris's character is, is turned from, you know, a character in the books who was this really awesome, cool fighter. And also he's gay. Uh, but that wasn't, you know, that was a, undercover thing nobody not everybody really talked about it Hmm. uh in the show that's his only character trait that's every single scene is about that with him except for that we know he's a good fighter and that hasn't changed but he hasn't done any he hasn't fought anyone in how many seasons well no didn't he wasn't there in season two isn't that how we meet brienne isn't doesn't don't they fight at some point well okay but still season two 
season two and then season one with the jousting, he wins that too. That's even that's even further back. That's even further back. <laughs> well, and then also he's fighting someone in this scene. That he, and he's he sparring. He's sparring with someone, but sparring? like he. Well, I'm just saying, but, Why, but it yeah, would have been like, nice you, to you see said, him. It would have been nice to see him take out a few people. That yeah, exactly. Be... He he doesn't put up any and, sort of real resistance. And I totally agree, though, that he's he's like a gay dude who also happens to be able to fight, right? Yeah, and I now agree. it's not That's even how... like they've done this with his character. Now it's even worse because this is his entire storyline now. Right. It's not right. even now, like... Now it's the focus of his storyline. This but is the I only w- thing he gets to do. But I will say I know now why they had that scene earlier. You know what I mean? Because oh, they wanted course, to remind yeah. us. That's that's really all I wanted to get at, is that his character hasn't improved or anything, but I understand that scene because they wanted to reemphasize the fact that he's gay so that when he gets taken, you're not like, why is he being taken? I'm confused. Because, as we know, I mean, the funniest thing is just browsing the net before any of these episodes come out or before new seasons premiere and, you know, um, you know, catch up on all the characters or remember, you know, who, who you know, which character is which, that they have to post these articles in the first place, you know, just demonstrates how confusing this show can be. Um, you know, we do this podcast, which is always helpful for sort of recapping what happened, um, you know, for, for me, you know, as a as the person <laughs> recording the podcast. But, you know, it's just like, it can be confusing, um, you know, trying to follow all this stuff. So, um, you know, if you're not doing this, or if you're not like taking notes when you watch Game of Thrones, which most people aren't for obvious reasons, uh, you know, that's why the HBO has the online, like, you know, encyclopedia of who everyone is. Um, so, you know, you have to have these scenes that are like, oh, remember, he's the guy who, you know, he's the, the Knight of Flowers and all the, the rest of the... Yeah. Yes. And I, I do think this show generally does a good job of, like, yeah, hinting it's at things and reminding you reminding yeah. you of things but right before you need task. to remember them. I get it, yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot, but I think, you know, yeah, more times than not. And there's always, like, that five-minute-long previously on... Right, of course. <laughs> it goes way back to season one, so in case you forgot something, yeah. So they, it, it's a tough job for sure. Um, and they've done a, re- you know, considering they've done it a very good job. But sometimes you get these episodes, these scenes where you're like, "Why is this happening?" And you're like, "Oh, right," because some people don't remember that. And I think, or, well, or maybe you didn't remember, it, and then you're like, "Oh yeah," you know. <laughs> we'll get into two of those scenes later because I have some thoughts on two scenes that maybe you thought stood out. I guess we'll talk about them. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, so the last bit we get is is uh, Marjorie very obviously trying to manipulate Tommen in like the most hilarious way possible. Um, I've never seen <laughs> Game of Thrones is usually pretty subtle with its manipulation. Like you're never really sure if somebody actually wants something. I think Varys is probably the most obvious example where he just says things constantly, and you're never sure what his actual goal is. And even. Even now, sometimes I'm not really sure what he wants, but it seems like everything he said previously was all to get him or to promote Daenerys in some way. Um, But it was very hard to tell that in the beginning. It was like, oh, does he like Tyrion? Does he not like Tyrion? Is he going to, you know, testify against Tyrion? Is he going to testify for Tyrion? Like, it was very unclear. So all these, you know, manipulations were, you know, game plans weren't usually clear from the outset. Littlefinger was the same way. Often Cersei's the same way. Um, Although she's a little less subtle. But in this case, Marjorie's like, uh, talking to Tommen, and when it's clear that Tommen doesn't really see, like, isn't really getting it, you can see her immediately switch to manipulation mode. It's the it's the weirdest scene. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you saw if you like noticed. The oh thing. no, yeah, it's very. It's obvious. so clear. <laughs> um, and then you know, Tommen makes a futile effort to try and uh, get her her brother released. Um, I love Tommen in this episode. I really do. He's so earnest, and he does yeah. what he can, and he's. And he's it's just not clear doing if he's his ever best. Heard these rumors also about his parents. 
Like if he was yeah, too that, young when it happened with Joffrey or... That was a really interesting moment. Did, yeah, was. did you get the impression that he was aware of these rumors or that he wasn't? It seemed like he was kind of like surprised or like surprised that people were mad at him or still didn't like him even though he's like... I'm Calling him a bastard specifically. Yeah, calling him a bastard. And then just the idea that he... I always forget his name, by the way, is, is Baratheon. Like that always... Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, just the fact that you know, he reacts so, he's so innocent, you know, and so when people are, like, yelling at him, he's like, I haven't done anything wrong to anyone, and everyone's yelling at me, and I don't know what's going on, and then he still takes the high road with the sparrows, which is pretty cool, too. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was, you know, I understand, I think Marjorie's frustration is warranted, in, you know, given the situation, but I really like... But even then, she's manipulating him, she's like, oh, you know, just leave me alone. You know, she's just like, I don't have any... Oh, I didn't think that... Useful. When she leaves, I didn't feel that was manipulation. Really? I thought that was... I thought that was very genuine, like... Like, I'm... Like, okay. she drops the manipulation, and she's like, yeah, I'm Okay, maybe that's, here. that's what I family. mean, I guess, is that he's... She's like, I don't have any more use for you at the moment, because you're not being useful to me. Like, the facade drops very quickly. So I guess, yeah, manipulation is probably the wrong word, then, for this... For the moment, but... Yeah. I just feel bad for him. Yeah. It's like his wife... Who he doesn't hasn't really done anything to, um, at all. He's just sort of a nice guy. Uh, then like rejects him because he's he can't get her, her brother out of jail. Which to be fair is a kind of a big deal. But um, she's realizing that he's you know he's a king, but he's a king sort of in name only because Cersei does whatever she wants. Yeah, and it's it's interesting comparing him to to Joffrey, who you know Joffrey in that situation, if he cared about Loras, would have slaughtered all the sparrows right there to to get him out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, more than anything, she's realizing that she can manipulate... That's really the problem, is that she can manipulate him into going to free Loris, but that doesn't mean that he's going to have the uh, willpower or the lack of of, uh, morality necessary to do what needs to be done. Right, exactly. And that he might not be as useful a tool as as, uh, she'd hoped. But, you know, it's sort of his naivete coming through, and, you know, he'll, he'll learn. Uh, and then, of course, she said she's leaving to go tell Olena, uh, who's a great character, and I wish she were in this season. Um, so I hope she shows up at some point. Uh, so from here we go to the wall. Um, so this was a really <laughs> strange, strange moment. It's a moment that, uh, on one level, I'll just analyze it on one level, uh, where Melisandre comes to talk to John, um, well, first we have the in, the initial part where John is is uh, has to sign papers requesting men for the wall, and then gets to Bruce Bolton and doesn't want to sign the paper, but then does, which isn't. I don't really know how important this scene is. Um, I guess we'll see if it has an effect on the Boltons at all, but it's not really that. Is this a relevant plot point? I think it's to you. I, I think more than anything, it's relevant to John. John's character that he's still as you know as he's been doing in the past couple episodes wrestling with whether his connection to the wall is stronger than his connection to Winterfell and in this scene he very reluctantly decides that he has to put his responsibility to the wall above any uh, hatred he might have for Roose Bolton. Right, exactly and and, and I guess it does communicate that but it's the same message we've gotten a few times at this point Um, but yeah so that was interesting, Uh, it might be interesting who gets sent up um, I know that last week we didn't 
talk about Reek, and I mentioned that in the article, in the post itself. Um, but it would be interesting if they if Bruce Bolton sends someone that John knows, you know, from Winterfell. Maybe not Reek per se, although maybe maybe he served his purpose, and maybe they just want to be rid of him, and he's kind of useless. Um, I mean, I think Ramsey would like to keep his plaything around. His pl- well, yeah, but he's well. Who knows what he's doing in his private time? Um, but he's kind of like I don't know. It would be interesting. It would be interesting if somebody was set up, uh, sent up to the wall uh, that John knew, because then it would make the scene mean some mean more than it does, which is just him declaring that he has loyalty to the wall, which he said in every single episode so far. Um, so, uh, so there's that, and then there's also Melisandre who comes up. And, um... Oh, my God. What yeah. was happening in this scene? This, well, okay, first of all, we have yet another scene where a woman undresses in front of a man, and the man goes, well, I don't want to... <laughs> this just happened so many times. Or or someone dies or something. You know, this happened with the Unsullied in the brothel. This has happened... Um, trying to think. It happens a lot in the show. Constantly. Yeah. And it seems like an excuse for one person to get naked and not the other person. Um, I do like the fact that he... Having said that, I do like the fact that he didn't indulge her. Um, but it's just more of her doing her usual thing, and I don't like like I don't find her character interesting. She seems to have sex with people and tell people to do things because she saw it in the fire, and that's all she does over <laughs> and over again. And I don't, that's that's pretty much the long and the short of it. Yeah, yeah, it's just not interesting to me. That's boring. That's a boring character. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I never like. And then she does that thing where she refer- she like quotes Egret. I loved that. Do you you know, rest like of the that? scene aside, I loved that. I was so confused. It's so confusing. What she can? She saw it. Happen oh no! I, I I thought that like uh, that's just a thing that Jon Snow in, makes people say. Oh no! Okay. Like oh like she, like you know no she maybe she doesn't know anything about Egret but like she that scene happens she's no, like oh, no, you know no, nothing no. Jon Snow if, and it's we know and he knows it's ironic but I don't think she was intending to no no I don't think Egret. that's what it is at all. okay first of all if it is what you're saying I hate it I hate it a lot because oh, I think it's hilarious stupid. I love it it's completely <laughs> it's like a catchphrase and it's dumb if it's not and what I think it is is it's an actual reference to Egret I think she is actually referencing either Egret. Or she knows there's some. She knows that phrase is a trigger for him because he she says it, and then there's like they hold for a really long time, and she gets this little like smile, and it's very clear that she knows it had an effect on him. That phrase specifically, like you should. I don't know if you can watch that scene again, like just that moment, but it's very clear that she said it with an intention, and that intention came across very clearly because he sort of freaks out when she says it. Yeah, well, okay, maybe she doesn't know the context of it, but I would believe that whatever fire magic yeah, yeah, uh, she, exactly. has, she has on John has allowed her to understand that this phrase has some importance to him. And the other reason I believe it's it's an intentional reference, that she's intentionally referencing Egret, is that the whole thing with him not having sex with her is because he's still in love with someone who died. And so they had talked about Egret indirectly just before that. So I think it's a reference, a direct reference. I think, yeah, I think it could go either way, but I... Okay. So it's it seems like they're laying it on real thick that what she's trying to do is, like, make a shadow baby with John. Because every time she's talked to him... She keeps talking about his power and all yeah, that. Yeah, there's power. It's running through your veins. There's power in you, and now she's trying to sleep with him. And it's really, you know, when she was talking about the shadow baby, she was talking about how Stannis has the king's blood, and then when she... 
they couldn't make another one. She said he doesn't have uh, any more strength left. It would kill him. So I think that's what they're going for, but I don't know to what end she would be doing that. If that's what they're going for, we'll probably see the resolution of that, like, soon, I would imagine. Um, because they're leaving at some point, and it might just happen. Uh, but I don't know. I can't really see it happening. And I agree. That's It seems to be what they she seems to be implying. Um, I don't know. This whole thing is just strange, and I don't... Well, here's a question. What just, power is in John's blood? Well, yeah, so that's the other thing, too, of course. This, this A lot of this alludes to her, not to Ned Stark, but to uh, whoever his mother is. Which they, I think they, is it this episode they directly talk about that? Somebody references, somebody, uh, I don't remember who's talking to, Stannis maybe? No, or maybe Stannis says it. Somebody says, oh, he, he was some tavern wench or something. And oh, no, think, well, what Stannis says is, oh, Ned Stark would never yeah, do would, that. Yeah, you, you think, know, you, you really sleep think. in some tavern, implying exactly. that. that oh, it's yes, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of talk about John's parents in this episode, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's an, an interesting an interesting point to you know to suggest that he he's got this mother who's of some import um but yeah so yeah it's a you wait so you're referring you're you're suggesting there's more talk of it later oh yes <laughs> oh okay interesting all right well, well we can talk about that um oh, yeah. the last moment we get though or i guess this isn't the last moment but one of the other moments we get at the at the wall um is Stannis and his daughter uh and i think this is a great scene I agree. This is a, one of the best, one of the best uh, Stannis, Stannis moments. moments. Yep, yeah, yep, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, somebody I know who's who's read the books, you know, when Stannis first appears, I was like, I don't really like him. He's kind of not. I don't like his character. And uh, she was like, Yeah, uh, Stannis is awful in the books. He's just he's just kind of a hateful, not like mean, but just coarse, you know, brutal, uh, you know, not really that human, gruff character. You know, he's like sandpaper. You know what I mean? Like He's even more so in the show, I think. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, what's interesting then is because that's how I viewed him for, what, three seasons now? And then this moment, it's like all of a sudden he's humanized in a really cool way. Because uh, he never seems to treat his family with any particular... Actually, with this season in general, the way he's been treating John which is almost in a fatherly-ish role or a mentor-y role. Not that they're, like, that close, but his approval and stuff matters to John. Um, and by the way, John has been seeking out fathers since he left. He had yeah. Norman, he had uh, uh, Mance, and Stannis, and clearly he's he's lacking that <laughs> in his life. Um, but, I so all of that has helped Stannis, but this moment, you know really emphasizes his fatherly role. And I, this story is great, and it really makes Shireen and Stannis seem like they have more of a relationship than they've had previously. Yeah, it's, I mean, Stannis' whole uh, speech is, is really nice, and it, yeah, this isn't nothing we've seen out of Stannis, really. Uh, although, I, you know, I, the moment where she hugs him and he's like, oh, what is, what is love? <laughs> Stannis bot. Yeah, that was a little cheesy, but it's. I think it is a sweet well, moment. What that, is that, love? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like that this whole story about how um, he called in every maester in the world to come cure her grayscale because you know she's Princess Shireen of the House Baratheon and whatever. Which uh, is such a cool thing to hear. Yeah. Um, because you know, it, 
I guess the best comparison I really have is, and it'd be cool if Shireen ever met Tyrion, actually, come to think of it. Because the closest comparison I have is Tyrion, who, um, because he was born a dwarf, uh, you know, Tywin immediately, well, and also supposedly killed his mother in childbirth, although, you know, who killed who, it's not really. Um, but anyway, but that's how they viewed it. And so, you know, he was immediately just cut out of everything having to do with the house and the house name and everything. So, you know, he was basically only because he had to be, uh, because he is technically a, a, a Lannister, um, he was he was sort of tolerated. Um, but he was never going to inherit Casterly Rock. He was never going to inherit the house name. None of that was ever going to happen. Uh, and so I, I had always assumed Shireen was sort of in that same boat because of the grayscale. She was just sort of a um, a side point or like a, a, a rejected, you know, um, offspring. But it's, she's the only one that Stannis has. And um, it's just nice to know that she's not, she's not, unlike Tyrion, Stannis actually has an appreciation for her, despite the fact that she has this disease, which apparently makes her an outcast. I also learned a little bit more about Grayscale in this moment, because he says that she contracted it uh, by some doll. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Thing, yeah, yeah, which implies that it's like a, and it was it was intentional. Someone gave it intentionally tried to give her grayscale, right? Or, yeah, was, someone like someone was trying to either spread grayscale like a typhoid Mary thing, or intentionally try to get it in the Baratheon uh, in Stannis's house. Yeah, kind of. Um, like or the, the other way I saw someone interpret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other way I saw someone interpret it is uh, Stannis says, "Oh, he saw a uh, new father, and he thought I'd be." Uh, whatever, and someone said, "Well, maybe he was guy was just a doll salesman, and he was like, oh, you know, his this guy is a new father. He's definitely going to buy a doll from me, <laughs> with no with no malintent." Right, uh, right, right, right. But I think the implication is that it was intentional. Yeah, that's that's what it seems to be. You know, you know, he figured, oh, it was an easy target, and so then they just you know slipped it in and, and nearly killed you. Um, but yeah, it's a great story, and it's you know what's funny is that it's a great story. It's a little. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's a great, and I like the moment a lot still, but I, has she never heard this story before? Because otherwise he's just retelling a story that she's already heard before for the benefit of the audience. <laughs> well, I think mostly weird. mostly it is from his perspective, though. It's, you know, she obviously probably knows how it happened, but it's also, he's saying, you know, this is what I was going through and this is what I did. And, yeah, and interesting. So he, even if it is events that she knows, she's seeing it, you know, his, from his perspective. Right, so, I, right. you know, I agree. It is obviously just for the benefit of the audience, but I think it's mo- pretty much justified. It still fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so speaking, we were talking about Winterfell, and I guess this is what you were referring to earlier. Um, we get Sansa and the Crips. Yes, we do. Uh, and we get a lot of talk about uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, who, by the way, we get two completely different perspectives on this um, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> hmm. Um, yes, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a. It is. It's. I think it's cool to see that parallel. Uh, it's also funny. I totally forgot. Not to jump to Daenerys, but I totally forgot Rhaegar is Daenerys's brother, right? Yeah, it's easy to forget the, the relation to characters who are alive and characters who are only talked about in the past tense. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, Rhaegar was a um, her older brother. Because you only think about her and her brother, like uh, like Daenerys and Viserys. Exactly, never, yeah. Never Rhaegar. Um, but anyway, so so did you... This scene, What you probably have thoughts about it. What are your thoughts? Okay, well, 
I think, first of all, she's at Lyanna's tomb. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that this scene plays out and that they chose to... We were talking earlier about the way that the show will remind you of things before they're relevant. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that the show chose to, at this point, uh, remind us about Lyanna and Rhaegar. And even more interesting is that Littlefinger tells this whole story about the tourney and how Rhaegar wins, but he didn't give the flowers to his wife. Elia Martelli gives them to Lyanna. And, you know, how many people would have, wouldn't have had to die if Rhaegar hadn't chosen your aunt? And Dentist says, oh, yeah, well, he chose her, and then he kidnapped her and raped her. Right. And Littlefinger gives this, like, look. It's like, ah, and he, but he doesn't say anything. He just mm. makes them, you know, let's go where the dead can't hear us. But it's a very... Like they, the camera dwells on his face after she after she says that, and this very skeptical look, uh, and that in uh, combination with what we get from Barristan later in the episode, I guess we'll talk and we'll talk about the uh, what that equation equals mm-hmm. when we get to that scene. But it's intriguing. Yeah. So I guess I didn't really pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe you. I believe you. I have to rewatch the scene to really get that. But. Um... I just thought it was a counterpoint from Sansa. Like, I, I just read it as a counterpoint from Sansa. And that's it absolutely is that, yeah. Entered, but that is just sort of, that was the end of the conversation. I didn't really think about it. Um, is this, do you think there's significance in this following the John stuff, too? At the wall? Was that? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Because um, I'll tell you what I got the most out of in this scene. A, we have, uh, the, it's all plot-related stuff, because that's the only thing I can follow at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, we have uh, Littlefinger going back to King's Landing, which is kind of a surprising, amazing thing, assuming he's actually doing that. Um, and the other thing is Warden S of the North, you know, the idea that, that uh, Stannis will somehow appoint um, Sansa, who is the oldest uh, living Stark, according to uh, that, but she is at this point. Um, and actually, the only, I think he says something like the only Stark left. Because um, they don't know that. Already. Yeah, which is hilarious because, like, most of the Starks are left. There are more Starks alive than dead, but nobody knows that. Is it? Yeah. Oh, Bran's still alive. Yeah, Bran and Rickon and... Uh, oh, right. And Arya totally and Sansa forgot. are alive. The only ones who are dead are Ned and Cat and Rob. Ned, Cat, Rob. Four to three. <laughs> yeah, and also John, arguably, is a you know, Stark. John is half, I guess, but still yeah. alive. <laughs> and he could have been a Stark, you know, as, of, as far as they know. Like, True. It could just as likely that, you know, he... He took the Stark name after... Um, Which is why this is a great plan on Littlefinger's part, because even though I, it is guesswork, it is just kind of rolling the dice and hoping that this is what Stannis will do, mm. uh, he's totally right, because we just saw Stannis try to do exactly this with John. Right, exactly. <laughs> and John exactly. refused, so it seems like this is going to work out if it works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think it's a good idea. I don't know if he actually has as much faith in Stannis as he lets on, um, but it'll be really interesting to see... Stannis actually leave the wall, and I don't know when that's going to happen, but, you know, great if that happened. He said, in, he said in two weeks or something, but, you know, showtime, that could be next episode. <laughs> that could be tomorrow, you know, that could be <laughs> next episode. Um, yeah, it's very hard to tell. And then there's the King's Road, which is going to take a while to move an entire army down. Or maybe it'll take one episode, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it'll start at the beginning with them leaving the wall, and then by the end of the episode, yeah. they'll cut back, and they'll be at the front gates of Winterfell. Oh, that was a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we almost ran out of food. Um, so yeah, no, this. So I, I like all this stuff. I don't know, um, you know, what the 
relevance is again i didn't even remotely cons- i did pick up the stuff about john's parents at, or john's mother at the wall but i didn't get any of the stuff at um what should we call it uh at in the crypt i didn't even con- connect it but i guess it's it would make sense considering all this is Oh, yeah. you know, there's a whole there's a whole thing going on. No, but yeah. see, if there's something connecting all these these storylines, then an episode name, an episode title would have might have alluded to that in some regard, in some sort of clever yeah, son way, right? in it, <laughs> right? That's something related to Rhaegar or to John or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's let's leave that aside. Uh, so I really like. So we go to Dorne. So they're already in, in Dorne, Jamie and Bronn. Right. Uh, just Speaking there. of really fast travel. Yeah. yeah. All the way in Dorne. They're like the southmost point in the world we're here. <laughs> you know, um, I really like the Jamie and Bronze stuff. Okay, I'm going to preface it and say I really like the Jamie and Bronze stuff. Uh, I found the second part uh, with the Sand Snakes to be, like, super boring. And, okay, go. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I remember wow. I was I was talking about how I was excited to see the Sand Snakes because so they were so cool. Uh, yeah, the show I do not think pulled them off at all. It just uh, didn't. It did. It was like they were the most on it. I was like, oh, she speared a a, peer, a guy in the head, and yeah, she hit a moving target from three feet. Uh, not a moving, a stationary target, a stationary from three target. feet away. Yeah, exactly. I just that whole scene was just like, okay, they're gonna go. Like nothing about it seemed. It's like when it's like in a in like a bad action movie when they try and introduce bad badass characters by like <laughs> by like dressing them cool or something, yeah. but like they don't really know like they don't. They do a cool monologue can... that's not about anything, and then they, they kill someone. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that is exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they make Obara. They give her the biggest role. I guess she's she's the uh, most notable actor among them. I guess maybe I don't know. She's an isn't she an Oscar nominee? Is she for Whale Rider? Is whoa, that's what? Yeah, that's Kira Castle Hughes. Whoa, or Ke- Keisha Castle Hughes. The last thing I saw her in was Whale Riders. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, also, I have very little recollection of the. F- I had no idea that was her. Yeah. Wow, I, I wow, my mom loves that. <laughs> she really likes this show, and uh, she loves Whale Rider. And I have bet she has no idea that that's. Whale Rider. <laughs> I'm gonna definitely tell her that. Um. In any case, yeah. So that scene was boring, but I did. Did, did you like the uh, Jamie and Bronn stuff? And when they first oh yeah, out? they've all they've been a cool pair since uh, since last season. This uh, fight just... was so cool. I thought this was so entertaining. Um, where they had this whole conversation about the uh, uh, about you know whether or not he can take on anybody of you know, uh, <laughs> and then uh, he sort of uh, Bronn slows down, takes on three of the four guards who attack them. And um, the one who's quote unquote slow, uh, that whole fight with Jamie was so good, and I loved how it ended. And it was absolutely like I know you talked about how funny previous episodes were and things like that. The show hasn't really made me laugh. This moment was awesome. It was so funny. Um, yeah, when, this was where he catches the sword. Yeah, with the golden hand. So that funny. was incredible. That <laughs> was just inspired choreography. It well, well the, I was because I had forgotten about his arm because I was as they were fighting. I was like, oh right, he has that golden hand, but like I wasn't thinking he was going to use it. I was just like, I'd forgotten. I don't even, it doesn't even seem like he does it intentionally. That's the best part. It's just like an instinctual thing. Yeah, he's just like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh right, I have a hand that can't be like is not flesh, <laughs> so I can just use it for things. Uh, and I like, yeah, I like from a character's perspective that he's turning that into an advantage in that way. 
Right, and what, which could what, make what, him really, what has been a disadvantage. Right, and it could make him a really interesting fighter in the future. But the other thing that it does, and it's kind of—I just thought of this. Uh, it's made of gold. It's a golden hand, right? And yeah. I think the fact that gold is so important to the Lannisters originally, right? And he would never think, probably, maybe even, you know, pre-season one, ever consider doing anything like, you know, ruining gold. You know, something that's finely crafted. Uh, because it's, you know, they, 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 they live in luxury, right? Like, that's their life. Right. But now, out of necessity, and also the fact that I don't know that he cares that much about his family name or anything, um, now he's willing to use it in a utilitarian way. You know, he doesn't care if it gets scuffed up or whatever, because, you know, <laughs> he's more interested in surviving, he's more interested in using, you know, and he's just moved on. He's moved past that sort of life of luxury. Um, you know, the reality check sort of set in. And so I think that's really, I think that's that's symbolic in a way. It would have been maybe more symbolic if he had seen like the fact that the hand was probably scuffed up at this point. But the the point I think stands that he's willing to use this previously ornamental thing as a because uh, it's such an egotistical thing to do to make a hand out of gold. I mean, for, <laughs> or not egotistical, but I mean, only the Lannisters would ever do something so ridiculous. You know, like just make it out of like plastic or well, not plastic, but you know what I mean, like metal. There's no reason for it to be gold. Um, but the fact that he's like, yeah, it's gold, but I'm still going to use it because I, you know, I need to use it for this purpose. I think that's really cool. Um, and <laughs> the uh, the Dornish guy is so surprised. Uh, <laughs> he's like, um, so that's really cool. Uh, the other thing that I think we should just quickly mention is uh, Bronn really pushing the Cersei thing, like throughout this their interactions. Like he seems to really, he's like, yeah, I know who you're in love with. Everyone knows. <laughs> and uh, Jamie's like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Um, so that was kind of weird that they keep he keeps pushing that uh, that angle. Uh, it's interesting that yeah, that Braun is so comfortable with Jamie that he's able to you know bring say stuff like that. To him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other, isn't the other thing like uh, Jamie says, I have to rescue my niece, and Braun's like, your niece? Yeah, niece. Yeah, he keeps doing it over and over again. <laughs> um, you know. And then the other thing is interesting is that Bronn doesn't seem to care. And he says, you know, because when she's, you know, he, he says all I care, some, Jamie says something along the, line, along the lines of, uh, you know, all I care about is, you know, making the one I love happy or something like that. Uh, or, you know, no, no, that's what they're talking about ways that they will die. And he wants to die in the arms of the person who loves him yeah. or something like that. And, um, and uh, Bronn says, you know, is that what she wants too or something like that? And he seems genuine about it. He's not like, okay, now tell me it's Cersei so that we can, you know, you know, because yeah. it's a juicy tidbit. He seems to genuinely care about. Oh, he at the beginning of this episode, he does give a uh, very meaningful, longing look toward Tarth. So, yeah, let's think about what is... significance that has. Obviously, I think you're right. He is talking about Cersei, but it's also made clear that he has some lingering feelings for Brienne as well. Yeah, that was never clear to me, you know, the fact that they, you know, it seemed like they respected each other, but I don't... That, and that might be all it is. It might not be romantic, but I think his time with Brienne had a profound effect on him. Oh, absolutely. It was and I think, yeah, he's easy. kind of missing uh, her presence in his life. Absolutely, and I would definitely agree with that. I don't know if it's romantic or not, but I do agree with that, and I do think, I mean, those were some of the best, best development for Jamie by far. I mean, we talked about that uh, at length. That was great stuff, and that's totally reshaped his character. So, yeah, for sure. 
Um, it's almost depressing to see him back with Cersei again because it's like very, <laughs> very depressing. She, just, she does nothing. A, she doesn't seem to like him, you know, very much anymore. And also, uh, and it's only gotten worse over time, especially with the Tyrion stuff. Um, but also, she doesn't do anything for his character, right? She just, at best, she, he could become as despicable as she is again. <laughs> you know, whereas with Brienne, you know, there was some character growth and development. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so we get some Dorne stuff. I'm really, I really like, I really like uh, Bronn and um, Jamie there. I'm not such a fan of the Sand Snakes, but uh, hopefully they'll become yeah. more interesting as the show goes on. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to them because of you. So, you know. It's I'm sorry. <laughs> I Look, I've, I'm just as crushed as you are, honestly. There's no reason for it. Like, you know, they've got solid actors all, you know, working in the roles. There's no... I think the problem is that this, the, at this point, it really feels like they, they have cut... And you, I, you don't know this specifically, but I think you can probably feel it. The Sand Snakes, if, if the version of the show that they are making, which is a very streamlined version of the story, cutting kind of extraneous things. Sure. The Sand Snakes should be one of those things, but because Oberyn was so popular last season, I feel like they felt compelled to include the Sand Snakes because he was a fan favorite. Uh, but yeah, not, I don't think it's impossible that they could work on screen. But they just, yeah, they just did not work in this scene. They, there was nothing to them. Well, there was also they decided to put them in the middle of a desert with nothing around them and nothing to interact with and nothing. To yeah, do. They're just standing around under a tent. What are yeah. they doing out there? There's nothing. It, it makes no sense. It's just like a random set piece. It's just bizarre. Um, it's a lazy set piece. It, it we were really talking about is. the great set design last week. If this is the set, <laughs> it's just a tent. <laughs> um, but I will say that I mean, okay, so are Jamie and Jamie and Bron obviously aren't together, and they certainly aren't in Dorne at this point in the book, right? Oh, yeah, no, both of those things are not, no. <laughs> so I think that, that they might be, this is, these are these two things are connected, right? And they yeah. clearly are connected in this scene because they're both, you know. I think Braun might be on his way out. You think? Because he has that whole scene where he's like, yeah, I've had an exciting life. I want to die, you know, in peace and quiet surrounded by my family. So obviously he's going to die in a brutal, violent <laughs> way. Interesting. Well, in any case, I think it's, the sand stakes are only literally there just to be like opposition to oh, Jamie yeah, and Braun. Absolutely, like, yeah. I think... They decided to do this Jamie Braun thing, and so they have the Sand Snakes, or vice versa. Uh, or they're both like, these are extraneous points that don't need to happen now, but we're just going to... Because we have one, we'll do the other. I think that's what it is. They're just um, reaction and uh, action and reaction. Um, but anyway, I, I, like I said, more Jamie Braun is never going to uh, you know, upset me. Um, so uh, we get a, a profoundly strange scene uh with Jorah and Tyrion in a boat <laughs> this episode. It is really weird. And I'll tell you why it's weird. It Me last week in, a, in our podcast uh, was Tyrion in the boat. Uh, he said the exact same yep. thing that I said. I was like, you know, because I, I just found the whole thing totally hilariously desperate um, of Jorah and pathetic. And... Mm. Uh, Tyrion somehow pieces the entire story together in this in these you know few moments. Not that it's that hard to figure out, and uh, then says basically what I said, which is that it's incredibly desperate, and uh, Jorah's reaction is to hit him in the face. Um, well, but, I like what he says. He's like, you know, oh, what you think she's going to pardon you and execute yeah. me? I think the reverse is just as likely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can just see how pathetic Jorah is. In this. <laughs> like he's just like, mm, you know. She's going to like me again. It's going to work. You know, it's just so yeah. sad. Yeah, for, I think Tyrion is uh, lowballing these odds, by the way. I think it's 
much better odds that she executes Jorah for coming back and frees Tyrion for being his prisoner. Absolutely, and I don't see why she would kill Tyrion. Like, Tyrion is... She has no reason to kill Tyrion. She doesn't, other than that he's a Lannister, and technically they're all his enemies. But, but, but... He, he, yeah, he could totally say, like, look, I'm not affiliated with them anymore. He <laughs> could, right. although I would say that that may have been a way to keep him alive, a reason to keep him alive, too, if he had been a hostage or something. You know, Dorne keeps keeping Marcella, right? So you could, yeah. you could also see Daenerys keeping Tyrion if they still wanted him, which they don't. Uh, and now he doesn't have that leverage because they don't care about him anymore. Uh, and they'd be just as happy to see Daenerys kill him as anyone else. She, he, Tyrion also doesn't have uh, Varys to vouch for him anymore. No, so where is Varys? Is that just... That's a good question. <laughs> uh, maybe he's I have no just idea. Gonna... I imagine because his goal was always to get to Daenerys anyway, Tyrion was sort of a bonus, and he might just be going there. And they could I just think that's probably up. true, yeah. Which would be really funny if they both just show up at... Let's meet up. <laughs> what like, are you doing here? Yeah, he was like... <laughs> So wait, his plan was to kidnap you and take him to take you to the place that we were already going. Yeah. Uh, so we lost a couple hours when I was looking for you, but otherwise we were right on schedule. <laughs> we're fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's strange. Also, taking a boat. Weren't they going by carriage? Why are you there in the water? The geography, even with the map, the geography is always weird on this show. <laughs> I don't know why they're in a boat. Because <laughs> you had to kill a dude, get into the boat. You know, yeah, maybe I guess they're trying to sneak. But, I mean, it's in the bay, Slaver's Bay. It's a well, bay. I would say it's probably because... Yeah, you're right. It's probably a sneaking thing. Because if he had gone by land, people would have been like, we know who you are. You were exiled. Why are you here? Yeah. Uh, so I could see that, too. Anyway, Also, Tyrion can't get away, too. <laughs> right, right. That, too. Um, which is also an advantage. So maybe it does make sense. Maybe it's a smarter choice than we're giving credit for. Um, so, the finale... Uh, which starts with a conversation about Rhaegar Targaryen. Getting back to that, so what's your mm-hmm. lay it on me? What you got some thoughts? What is what is going on with Rhaegar Targaryen? <sighs> okay, so who apparently the, likes to sing and dance and stuff? The free, okay, so the first thing you have to understand is that the first of these books came out in the early 1990s. Okay, and even after that first book came out, and you can go back and look at like the forum archives from way back then, people have had this theory. And I'm going to say it because it's a theory, but it's probably the best-known theory in these, this entire franchise. So if you don't want to know about this, uh, feel free to to turn it off, but uh, this is not a spoiler. It is not confirmed in any way. So, in this episode, we have a scene where Sansa paints a picture of Rhaegar, that he is this horrible monster. He kidnapped Lyanna and raped her. And in this scene with Barristan... He very explicitly says, oh, Rhaegar would never hurt a fly. He, he loved playing music and donating to orphanages and stuff. Right. And it seems like we're supposed to understand that that is the more accurate picture of Rhaegar because Barristan knew him personally. Right. And Sansa didn't. And the impression I get is that Sansa knows what Robert has been saying about Rhaegar. And Robert either has been, you know, saying this because he hated Rhaegar so much for... Or because he was so jealous, if it's true that they... He ran off uh, mutually, consensually with Lyanna. Or he didn't know that that was happening at all, and this is just what he assumed was happening because he hated all Targaryens. He always seemed way, very earnest about it, like very angry when he talked about Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is, he clearly right. thought that this happened whatever for whatever reason. Right. But that's not the, 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 the portrait that, that Barristan is painting in this scene is not that guy. And... 
so timelines are a little screwed up then because so so is the implication that they think so how does this relate to John is this a related thing yes okay so here's a theory so the end of Robert's Rebellion uh Ned comes home with a baby uh-huh. says it's his bastard right and that we have to raise it uh I don't think that this they had this line on the show, but it's a thing where his last memory of Lyanna is her saying, promise me, Ned. And we don't know that we never knew the context of that line, but, you know, he has this memory of, you know, Lyanna is dying in his arms because he couldn't make it in time for whatever reason. Mm. Uh, and he was, she was, you know, she's bloody and... Uh, is this in the saying, show? Promise me. Um... N- uh, no, I don't think they did this flashback in the show, but they t- definitely talked about Lyanna a lot in season one. Right, right, right. And what happened to her. And then in this episode. So the way that the theory goes essentially is, um, and I think, you, I think honestly you could probably get it from this episode, is that John is the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna. Huh. And that, you know, Ned uh, took him home because Lyanna was uh, dying for whatever reason. And um, protected him by pretending he was his bastard so that Robert, or nobody would know he was a Targaryen. Right. So that's the theory. And given what happens in this episode, A, we get two very conflicting versions of Rhaegar, and the more believable one is that he was a super cool dude and probably did not kidnap Lyanna. Right. B, Melisandre wants to, is implied, maybe wants to make a shadow baby with Jon, and you need King's blood to do that. Right. So... Put that together, <laughs> seems to be a really strong implication that that's where they're going with this. Well, plus we also have that other uh, Red Priestess who also seems to think that the Targaryens have a lot of merit. Um, we also have the – there's Aemon Targaryen who seems to like Jon a lot. Um, yeah. So there's that. There's oh, – there was something else I was just thinking of. Um there's uh, the whole scene where John doesn't take the Stark name, even though technically in this theory he would still would be a Stark, but he would have taken the Targaryen name had he been born in normal circumstances. Um, that's also interesting because... Oh, and this, there's a scene in this episode we talked about where Stannis says, oh, Ned Stark would never have a bastard with some tavern wench. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So it's really interesting. I think this theory makes... A lot of sense. So here's why the timeline thing is weird. Because John seems way older than someone who could have been born during the war. Um, well, the, the war was, what, 20 years ago? I'm so, sure, wait, 15? Well, so that might be true, but that would make Daenerys his aunt. And they seem like they're the same yeah. age. And that's what's weird to me, I guess. Which I guess does happen well, in Daenerys... I mean, you get... Yeah, yeah. I, think what, I think what they say on the show, because the timeline is different on the show to age characters up, I think what, the, what they said on the show is uh, Viserys says something about how, you know, you were just a baby when, uh, uh, when Robert's Rebellion happened, but, um, but I remember because I was a toddler, I remember our home. So, yeah, I think the idea is that uh, she had just been born when all of this was happening and they were, had to be spirited right, away right, across right. the sea. Huh. Well, this theory certainly makes a lot of sense, I have to say. Um... So I don't know, yeah, I don't know where they're going with this, because the books have not gone anywhere with it. They may not have, <laughs> but, but I think that there's ample uh, evidence. And but, but just having that scene where he doesn't take the Stark name, you know, it's like, in that moment, it makes sense for other reasons. But in the long scheme of, like, the show, you can see why he might not take the name, because it's like, 
we can't take that name because he has to take this other name at some point or, you know what I mean? Um, so there's yeah, a lot exactly. of, wow. Okay. Very cool. Makes sense. I like it. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of implications there. So now you're in the know yes, on no, this. Know. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, so then we, so we have this, this moment where Daenerys says that she doesn't need, uh, his dar, uh, his dar Zolorak wants to come talk to her and, uh, who is it who offers protection? Barristan? It's the yeah, Adaro, oh, okay. and she's like, oh, right, I right, right. She's him. like, I, you know, any, you know, she's completely un, un, unimposing. Except, I'm pretty sure his star represent. Does he represent the, uh, the sons of the harpy in a way? Wait, no, he just represents a like rich a rich family, and he's insisting that, like, oh, my family has nothing to do with any of right. them. Okay, um, but the sons of the harpy are linked with the rich side part of society right that was the whole point of that episode oh yeah the yeah son of the harpy is there and then gets killed because by the poor people because by the poor dude because of that whole thing right so um so while he's not imposing on his own he represents an entire group of people who indirectly who are very intimidating but also she you know he's on her uh, small council as well right. So they have some sort of, like, working relationship uh, that would lead her to be comfortable uh, not needing Barristan around. Right, but rejecting his, what he's saying has bigger consequences than just him being pouty, you know. Um, that's all I'm saying. Uh, well, in that earlier scene, that's pretty much all they did was be pouty when she rejected his uh, fighting pit thing. You mean in a previous episode? Yeah, I think it was in the first episode yeah, of the season where he's like, oh, you got to reopen the fighting pit. But by, like, the no. next e- right, but by <laughs> the next episodes, you know, they had seen direct, maybe it wasn't direct uh, result of that conversation, but her actions had led to the Sons of the Harpy, you know, attacking people. So I think that there's a there's a direct re- reaction, in other words, to her decision-making in the Sons of the Harpy, obviously. Yeah, well, this has been a contentious issue for sure after this episode came out, is like, this, this entire moment, this entire thing that happens is super controversial, like super controversial. Uh, and one of the big things it hangs on is, you know, why would Danny dismiss her only Kingsguard, and why would he agree to leave? <laughs> but I, I think, frankly, I, I think it's plenty. It's justified well enough. I like that she says, "Go sing a song for me," and like gives him the day off, basically. And he goes, you know, wandering through the streets, reminiscing so, pres- about Rhaegar, presumably. I don't have a problem with that uh, scene. I actually think it's kind of offbeat and fun and interesting. Um. I think the coincidental moments in the scene are a little ridiculous. Like it's a huge city, and Barristan is within earshot of what goes on. And the one platoon of Unsullied that's attacked happens to have Grey Worm in it. Because when they were being attacked, it was like, oh, a bunch of you know Unsullied are gonna die. And then, it, and, and then he gets his helmet knocked off, and he's like, oh, yeah, someone like, I know. Oh, it's Grey Worm. Like now, why I care does about Grey this Worm scene. Have to be in this particular patrol, unless they were targeting him, which may be true. I don't know. Um, and then Barrison happens to be in an earshot somehow in this massive city and hear uh, what's going on and try and go help. Um, I didn't love – we've had the conversation very briefly before this uh, in private about about this, this scene. didn't love the fight choreography. Um, I understand that it's difficult to uh, integrate whole things into yeah, fighting, they, but it just it, looked a little It was stingy. really hard. It, it, well, it's really difficult because it's they're fighting with a really long it's spear really and narrow, really close yeah, quarters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I feel like, yeah, it's definitely tough to choreograph 
anything for this. And, you know, they do some cool stuff where, like, this thing sticks in the ground and uh, Grey Worm pushes a guy on top of it. And they get in a little stuff. But, yeah, the fighting is... Is awkward, but I it's think, awkward, but you know, by, maybe by necessity, intentionally it awkward. It is, maybe, but like, they, it could have know, happened in slaughtered. a courtyard or something where they would have had a little more room to maneuver. It didn't have to happen in this narrow hallway. <laughs> um, but in any case, it's just, it was a little weird to, to watch. Uh, I will say Barristan's entrance was awesome. Uh, yes. You know, they really... I love when he hears the bell and just immediately whips yeah. out his sword. <laughs> it's like not even a second thought. Uh, Ian uh, McKelleny is is, you know... He's he's getting up there in years, but man, he he really he try he 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 does the physical end of it uh, really well, um, which we haven't really seen very much of him do at all. And we're supposed he's supposed to be this amazing, uh, you know, swordsman. Uh, we had just heard a conversation about his um, with uh, Littlefinger. I think talked about Barristan. Uh He did lose. Hey, he's like the greatest knight in he, of all time. He does. Although does Barristan beat? I think Rhaegar beats him in the tournament. I think that was the conversation they had. Yeah, exactly. But it was it was it wasn't the implication like then uh, like that was the final two, right, 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 right. Because he's the prince, right? And it was, yeah. So yeah, so Rhaegar did beat him, but you know, Barristan is still a formidable very known, exactly. And knight. with Rhaegar gone, he's probably the best you know swordsman around. Yeah. So exactly. this scene is really cool, but then it ends with, and then so the whole thing happens, and uh, he saves Grey Worm, sort of, and then they both sort of collapse on the ground, and it's not clear if they're dead. Barristan's not really moving. Grey Worm seems like he's dying, but it's not clear if either of them are dead. The implication I get just from the uh, staging of the final, very, very final moment is that uh, Barristan's dead because he's not moving at all. Grey Worm will get carried off and maybe get some like final words with Danny and Masande, and then he'll die, or 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 he'll be like just out of commission for the rest of the season. Interesting. Uh, injured, but I think Barry. Yeah, I think Barristan's think? gone. And, yeah, which is interesting because, once again, alive in the books. <laughs> well, I think that might be, that another might be one. a thing to consider. Maybe he is. Although what it does do is get him out of the way when when Tyrion shows up, because I'm sure he would not be super thrilled. Uh, I mean, either way, yeah, they've suffered some serious injuries and will not be doing heavy any, lifting. you know, protecting sure, anytime sure, soon. Sure. Um, it does make you wonder who's going to take over the Unsullied. Uh, the one thing I do, un- I, it's a little irritating. I know it's in tight quarters, but, like, the Unsullied are supposed to be, like, these formidable, intimidating fighters. Yeah, I, oh my god, and, okay, the Unsullied in this scene are, what was going on? First and the, of all... And the Sons of the Harpy are just like, although we, by the way, second band of religious fanatics we have in the course of one episode. Well, well the Sons of the Harpy aren't really they're not, religious, are they? The Sons of the Harpy, I assume, no, they're just like with the Harpy religion or something. Some, is that not the case? I, no, that's just a symbol for like the rich, the rich families really? of the city. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, well, whatever. The point is, okay, so that doesn't really connect, although it's it's interesting, um, sort of parallel with the sparrows. But what I do find interesting about them is that they're not like military; they're not trained, right? So, and the unsullied are. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, is are they? Because they seem to be. And uh, someone they kill a bunch of uh, theory I read. So. A theory I read that I found very interesting is that they could be. Um, Pit fighters. And there's this uh, whole big, that would you know, sense. conflict over Daenerys not allowing the fighting pits to open. So pit fighters would have incentive to join the Sons of the Harpy, who are tra- you know going up going against, up against her. her. So they, it, at, at worst, they get to fight and die and do what they, you know, doing what they like to do. And at best, they get to reopen the pits. <laughs> so I could see why you would join that. Yeah, and it's good for the Sons of the Harpy to have fighters of that caliber uh, on their side. Although you know, the Unsullied in the so, scene, yeah, so what is... it made me so mad. <laughs> 
Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. They're not supposed to feel pain, right? Like, that's a thing with that's the Unsullied? To, well, they're not supposed to react to pain. Yeah, because they do. <laughs> a lot in this scene. There's a lot of Unsullied screaming in pain. And it feels like that's something that someone on set should have remembered. But that's not supposed that's to happen. I, I didn't really remember that being a thing. I know that they're, like, highly trained, but There's a whole dying, scene where, like, cuts, a, dying, cuts his... So I feel like it's like, all right. Training sort of goes out the yeah, window. Maybe. About to die. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it seemed really inconsistent of the Unsullied, especially when they're also supposed to be the greatest fighters or whatever, and they are, you know, not acquitting themselves very well in this Yeah, scene. against, at best, pit fighters. Right, yeah, so, um... Of course, they never really, you know, elaborate. I call them pit fighters, right? And I, and I, you know, sort of uh, look down on look down on that as like a fighting thing. And yet, I feel like I bring up Spartacus every single episode. Uh, Spartacus <laughs> is an entire show about gladiators who literally run through Roman soldiers who are military trained, uh, like run rampant through them. It's hilarious to see them fight Romans in. Uh, in Spartacus, because they're just, like, in every way superior. <laughs> um, and uh, so if the pit fighters are, like, gladiators from Spartacus, yeah, sure, I could see them winning. Uh, <laughs> but we have no evidence, because we don't know anything about them. And this is assuming, of course, the Sons of the Harpy are pit fighters. I guess what I'm sort of irritated by is that I don't... Well, not irritated, but it's hard to... We've heard enough about the Sons of the Harpy at this point, uh, or, like... We've, they've built up their mysterious, powerful presence enough that at this point I'd like to know something about them, and we still don't know anything about them, so it's kind of frustrating to keep seeing them interact. You would think in the episode called Sons of the Harpy we might get some yeah, of that we information. Get nothing. It's just more attacking and more... So, yeah. It's a little little strange. Um, but uh, so, they, so they sort of leave it open-ended in terms of who's alive, who's dead. Uh, I still think... That there's a possibility. I know it looks like Barrison's dead. It's a possibility he's alive. It's o- it's definitely open ended. You're right. It's uh, open ended. So who the hell knows what's going to happen? Um, I'm hoping what happens is Tyrion shows up and gives Daenerys the tools she needs to help deal with this situation because he knows how to deal with most things. Um, well, certainly killing both of them off would open the door for Tyrion to come in. I uh, heard you at needed. That point, she would need help. <laughs> I heard help. you had uh, yeah. a free seat on your small council. Uh, <laughs> who's left after that? Is it's Dario and his dar? Yeah. Two right? of the most useful <laughs> advisors in the world. Uh, <laughs> like Dario's fine. It's like a fighter. I don't know how much of a advisor he really is. Uh, although I guess he's given. Seems to have very. He seems to be streetwise more. Yeah, than streetwise, anything. which is useful. But you know, running a city is a completely different thing, and he doesn't have any connection to the people. So basically, they have representation from one rich guy from the city. That's it. Uh, whereas Tyrion <laughs> can be pretty empathetic. He knows about the rich side of things. He also is completely street smart. Uh, and he's just, like, super bright. And has been on lots of small councils before. And has been the Hand of the King. And, and yada, yada, yada. So I feel like he would be a very useful addition to this little team that is getting smaller and smaller by the episode. Um, so, yeah. So I think that about sums it up. Was there any, uh, were there any other major points that you... I didn't like this episode nearly as much as last episode. Mostly because they were like let. No- it started off with sort of a whimper with the whole Iron Bank nonsense. Um, we have a lot of like mysterious groups attacking people. But we don't really know anything about them, uh, and the Sand Snakes were kind of dull. Not that it didn't have great moments, you know, scattered throughout. But yeah, I think really the problem here is, and I hate this complaint. I really <laughs> do. I, I hate it, but it's. I think it's not a complaint necessarily, but accurate to this episode, not a lot happens. That's interesting. I think a lot think happens. It. It's just not 
Well, in terms of, you know, where does the plot go, what we ultimately get is Barristan and Grey Worm dying, question mark, and then uh, in King's Landing, uh, Loras getting arrested, but then you look at all the other storylines, and it's like, you know, John talks to Melisandre, Sansa talks to... Um, to Littlefinger and in Dorne, you know, Jamie and Bronn fight some random guys, and the Sand Snakes talk to each other. Yeah, maybe not. And it's just not. It's a lot. It's a very much a transition. Episode transition is definitely like. I think a good word for it. You're right. You're right. There's not a lot of conclusion yeah. to it. I guess I just like that it ended on a conclusion at least, and not you know Arya entering a door or something. Um, so <laughs> I guess I guess that's why it left me with a better taste in my mouth than an episode where you know not a lot happened. But it it doesn't. Not a lot does happen. You're right. Um, well, here's hoping next week is, is a bit more interesting. You seem to think uh, that the title is a direct reference to something that you know will happen, uh, or someone will say. Yes. But again, I think that it certainly will have uh, more meaning than that. I can only assume because it's not a uh, just a thing, like a proper noun, like so these last couple episodes. And I think that, we can that be can't really have... sure it's not Loris dying. Although maybe it will be, but I think it's... I'm, of course, you... You're probably sitting there smirking, but I can only speculate. Uh, it probably won't be Loras dying because otherwise, Marjorie leaving to go talk to you know her her mother. Oh, I don't think Loras gets arrested in the books oh. either. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I don't think that happens. So okay. There you go. Well, but it's it still could be a reference to something along those lines, or you know, talking about killing him. Certainly could be. Yeah, and certainly could it, be. Uh, well, what what boys are there? Let's think right, about this. Right. Well, I, I do find it. First of all, I had no idea what Cersei's plan was. That was to you know take out Loras of all people. It's like why Loras? You know. Um, so it gets a Marjorie, to get to Marjorie, I guess, I guess yeah. but like, why would the sparrows care about, you know, oh, okay, because he's gay. Apparently that's also a problem in their religion. Um, you know. God, yeah, that was so, I mean, yeah, I don't, don't want to keep going back to this, but seriously, like, oh, the religious extremists, they're obviously. They're all you know, they obviously homophobes. Yeah. All the gays. <laughs> yeah, you know, clearly that's something well, that we know from our well, world. Well, yeah, but to be fair, I mean. <laughs> it's, it's so obviously like, it's relevant to current events. Yeah, but a lot of this, I think, is, you know, George R. R. Martin wrote these, you know, with an American mindset, you know, so of course he's going to integrate things like this. Now, but, if, it but again, like, I it wasn't in the books, this is, but it's I don't just, think this happens it in the books. It could have been, like, in my mind, and not that I have, I've read the books or anything, but in my mind, I could see him drawing, you know, anal analogies throughout his books to things in the real world. Oh, no, certainly he does, but this felt, like, very <laughs> obviously, like, you know, this is just a thing we all know about religious extremists, like, right? It's awful, yeah. And it, yeah, we like we can't. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things like, oh, we can all be on like, oh, it's the same thing with imitation games we talked about. <laughs> oh, geez, like, oh, we can all feel, isn't it so awful? And we all feel so bad, and we all, but we feel good about being progressive. <laughs> That's what this is. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to see how his storyline plays out. I, I don't dislike it yet. I do think it's a little, a little odd. If if they kill him, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> let me tell you. I'm gonna be so mad. I don't really see where he's going. Like, I don't know why he's in the story. Like, I don't know why he was. He exists as a character. That's really my biggest complaint about Loris is that he's done nothing for five seasons. Literally nothing. He literally has had zero role in anything that's ever happened. He jousted once, and then she, you know, someone was shaving him at some point or something, and then you know he's had he slept with Renly, and then. He slept with some other guy. Oh, That's it. I do want one quick point that I want to bring up. Uh, in both episodes three and four, there is a scene where uh, the sparrows go into uh, Littlefinger's brothel, and the guy goes, "This is Lord Peter Baelish's <laughs> establishment," and one of them hits him in the face, and he falls down twice. Two episodes in a row, that exact it thing. Does it really? Yeah, it happens <laughs> when they go to get right, the high right, septon. Right. He does that same line, and they hit him, and it happens in this episode too. Uh, it's interesting how little. 
Littlefinger's name seems to matter at this point. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, speci- well, it's also like Littlefinger doesn't seem to care at all about his brothels anymore. He's like, they were like tools for him to get information and things from people. And now he just doesn't care because he's not in King's Landing. So what does he care? Um, yeah, so exactly. it's kind of it's like, oh, great, people are scheming in King's Landing. I don't care. I'm I'm literally everywhere else. Except now, except now he's going back there, so maybe maybe they keep bringing that up because he's going to come back and you know he's going to have an interaction with the sparrows. What did you? What happened in my brothel? You know this was my establishment, right? Didn't somebody tell you that? Did any you guys? Did I've you, been paying. Did you, you tell them this was my establishment? <laughs> I've been paying. Did you, you tell them? And your only job was to tell people who came in here that it's a little, it's little fingers to stop. <laughs> what is wrong? With you? Um, but in any case, uh, so yeah, so next week, kill the boy. Um, is any last uh, last thoughts? Uh, I'm excited to see where this episode, what this episode is setting up. <laughs> I, I guess, too. and also as we know, episode five is usually like the big, you know, turning point. The, uh, was it the lion, the lion and the wolf? I think in season one. Well, yeah, last uh, last season it was the one where Tommen was crowned. Uh, so obviously that's that's a big one, and they get to. Sansa gets to right. the veil. Well, the lion and the wolf is where whole... Jamie oh, that... attacks uh, Ned in the first season, and that yeah. to me was like, if you if you're watching that, if you were watching that, and you, like the episodes had already come out, and you were like, I'm not going to binge, I'm going to watch them one at a time. When you get to five, you had to finish the season. You just had to because it was just like, oh my god, what's going to happen? So I think this could be a big moment. And that seems like it seems like this episode fulfilled that function. So I wonder how they're well, going to top it. This one is a well, no, I don't think so because I think that it's usually. That's where we start getting our payoffs, I think, in this episode five. I always look, look forward to the fifth episode, like the midway point of each season, because as we talked about, that slope of like slow start, although not that this has been a very slow season so far overall, I think, but slow start to like ramp up craziness is usually, uh, it's, it's, it's around the middle of the season that it starts ramping up. And so I always like, everyone looks forward to the ninth episode. I always look forward to the fifth because I think that's when things start getting really cool. I think they said this season they're going to break the nine episode nine tradition and not good, do anything last, last particularly notable. Terrible. Which of course means they're gonna. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, last season, I, I we didn't like that episode anyway. So no, yeah, it was very know. important. Um, but if yeah, but uh, we did we didn't love it. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's just something like something really notable and important happens in that episode, then fine. But I don't really I agree. The whole thing where they hang episode nine, this, they this force huge, it, yeah. Th- shattering event on yeah, it. Yeah, and it's also like sometimes it doesn't fill an entire episode. Like that, ep- as we said, Watchers on the Wall didn't need to be an entire episode. Um, he, he, Blackwater oh, yeah, but, didn't need to be But an then you have episode. like Reigns of Castamere I think is a great episode. Reigns of Castamere was, yeah. But I think uh, like Blackwater did not, a lot of people say it's a great episode. I think it's, it's a decent episode. Um, but it, it didn't need to be a whole, I don't think it needed to be a whole episode. So I think there's a lot of instances where those it does feel like, they yeah, with the battle episodes, it does feel like, like we can do this for a whole episode. Like right, right, off. exactly. Like, we're a TV show, and we can do a whole hour. Well, not to mention this. the fact that, in, you know, Watches on the Wall ends, and the battle's not even over, right? He leaves to go talk to Mance. Yep. And then the episode ends, and you're like, <laughs> The really? final scene of that episode is in the next episode. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, what, what is going on? Um, but in any case, uh, so I'm, episode five, I am, I am very excited. All right. Uh, so thank you All for right. joining me. Uh, we will meet again next week. All right. <laughs>